Further ado, ladies and gentlemen, a very formal welcome to Torah Studies. Now, as you know, because this ain't your first rodeo, I know that. I know that you've been in Torah Studies before. And Torah Studies has one objective, which is to take a theme that's talked about in the Torah portion, sometimes the holiday, but mainly the Torah portion, and explore it from a deeper perspective. Well, tonight, my friends, we are doing that. And I sent out an email not too long ago um, that maybe you got, maybe you didn't. If you didn't get it, well, it's okay also. Um, if you did get it, then it's cool. It's the email was focusing on the, the role of family. And tonight, one of the themes that we're going to focus on is the role of family in Judaism, right? So I, right off the bat, I just want to say something, and that is um, we all come from family. Right? Like, if you're here, right, then at some point you were a child somewhere, right? So we all have some sort of background, some sort of family connection. Now, everyone's family is different and everyone's got, you know, got, got stuff. But, oh, I sent out a quote before from Ashley Brilliant, the, 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 uh, the English uh, humorist, who wrote, if you don't believe in ghosts... You've never been to a family reunion, right? So that's that, and that can be true sometimes, oftentimes. Um, question Let's do a quick poll question about families because, again, we all have families. You know, we came from families, we have families. Question about your family growing up Did you come from a large family or small family? Small families, raise your hand. Okay, large families, raise your hand. Okay, by the way, notice I didn't define large or small families because I don't know that there's an actual definition of that, but I just kind of wanted to take the temperature and see kind of your experience in families. Um, okay, so tonight we're going to explore families, family dynamics, and learn the surprising connection between families and the holiday of Yom Kippur. Okay, we're about to get into some really interesting stuff, so... Stay with me and let's begin. Okay, so I, I want to do a little bit of word association. And to do this, you really need to be unmuted in order to jump in on this. On this, um, on this fast, um, by the way, I'm looking to the side here. If you notice me looking to the side, don't worry. It's not like there's something more important happening. Although, what I'm doing now is making myself a cup of tea you might, be, you, might, you might hear, if you were on the class last night, then you probably are aware of the fact that right now I got this allergy thing going on. So I'm making myself a hot cup of tea, which I felt like I should share with you as I'm looking to the side. So like if I wasn't looking to the side and doing it right here, this is what would be happening. Some honey into my teacup. Okay, but let's talk about Yom Kippur for a second. You might want to mute yourself to jump in on... The trivia question. Okay, here we go. Question is, drum roll. One word. This is fast paced, so get ready. One word association with the day of Yom Kippur. Go. One word. Forgiveness. Fast. Fast. Good. Forgiveness. For excellent. Forgiveness. Good. What else? Connection. Wait, what was it? What was it? Susan, what'd you say? Connection. Connection. Oh, good. I like that one. What else? Or A610. 
Farenks, yes, yes, yes. One becoming one in Yiddish. Good, right? Neila. What else? One word. Sandrine, you got something? No. Confession. White. White. Confession. Good. What else? Keep it coming. Guilt. <laughs> Guilt. I love it. I love it. That's every day. That's every day. Oh, oh, you see that? You see that? Why wait for once a year? Oh, wait a second. Adina Maka, you only wait for once a year to feel guilt. Come on. Now making you feel guilty about feeling guilty once a year. Aha, uh -huh. you see you see what we do. Um, okay, what else? What else? Family. Family, good. What else? Community. Community, good. Okay. What was it? Buying a seat. <laughs> Tickets here. You know, it's like it's like scalpers. I mean, not by Chabad. You don't have to pay to pray, but like you go to some synagogues. Oh, there was such a funny, um, and I don't know, you know, I'm not that up to date now as to who's canceled or not. So forgive me if I'm, you know, I don't think he is though. Larry David. The, sorry? Everybody forgot about the Yom Kippur War. The Yom Kippur War. Oh, good. You're right. It was. Well, we didn't forget. We were just waiting. David, we didn't forget. We wanted to give you the opportunity, the zchut, to mention it. So there we go. Perfect. You got the opportunity. So look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, there's a great scene in, um, what was Larry David's show called? Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, tickets on the high holiday. Yes, he's buying tickets and he didn't get tickets or he got the wrong to I don't there's like a whole I don't he was bought from a scalp. He was scalping them. There's like scalping the tickets for high holidays outside the synagogue. It's a hilarious bit. It's such a Jewish bit on every level. It's about Jewish things, but it's like so the comedy of the humor is so Jewish. Anyway, here's my point. If you lived, let's say 2,500 years ago, or 2,800 years ago, and I would ask you that same question, like, one, uh, if I would ask you to name, if I would ask you the same question 2,800 years ago, one word, one word that you associate with Yom Kippur, right? What would you say 2,800 years ago? The temple. Avodah. The temple. The Kohen Gadol, the high priest, 100%. Friends, it was a different experience. They didn't have tickets. I don't know, maybe they did. Who knows? I wasn't there. But it wasn't, it, it, it looked very different than the way it looks today. It wasn't like everyone went to synagogue and everyone was banging their chest and asking for forgiveness and atonement and doing their thing. It was mainly focused on the service of one representative of the people known as the big kahuna, the high priest, the Kohen Gadol. He was the guy who stood before God and did the service, did the avodah, did the, the formula, the formulaic service within which was granted divine forgiveness 
to the Jewish people, or through which was granted divine forgiveness to the Jewish people. This was the central action of Yom Kippur. It wasn't so much what the individual did. Now, I don't want to minimize it too much. Certainly, a person had to clean up their own act um, prior to and on Yom Kippur. But the main action of the day was not by the individual as much as it was by the representative of the people, namely the high priest. So that is a central idea. So again, if you were, if we had, you know those, when you go to the arcades, you can feed quarters or tokens in and they have this like game that has like these stuffed animals and this claw arm and then you move it and then you grab it and you pick up the thing and then it drops it as it, you know what I'm talking about, like it necessarily, it's, it's made to drop it at, before it goes back. It's like, oh, this is gonna hold it? Yeah, I don't think so. Anyway, that game, I actually have one kid who's super skilled at that. The dude is like, I don't know what the word is in Vegas, but like if it were Vegas, they were like, no, you can't. Like they would have his picture up on the, on the casinos or on the things like, you can't come here. You're too qualified. There's this kid, whatever, one of my kids, I'm not going to name him because, you know, I don't want it to get out there so that all the arcade places are going to block him out. This dude, he's like in his sleep, boom, 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 dials it up, gets one of those things to work. I don't know how he does it. It's basically incredible. All right, so here's the point. I'm sure there was a point there. I have no idea how we got to the claw thing. Um, oh, yes, here we go. If I, oh, it's a stretch. If I picked you up by one of those claw things and transported you back, you know, 2,500 years plus and popped you into ancient Israel, with a temple and a high priest, friends, you'd be like, this is Yom Kippur? This is Yom Kippur? And yeah, this is Yom Kippur. It's a bit different than it is today. It was all about the high priest and the high priest's service gaining atonement for the Jewish people. So tonight we're going to look at that and look at a fascinating and very confusing mitzvah, obligation, that's related to the high priest's service on Yom Kippur. And we're going to try to derive some beautiful life lessons for all of us from this idea, from this, uh, from this mitzvah, from this story. So what, we, what we're going to do is, and give me a moment, give me a quick moment while I pull up this text. Okay, the text is ready. And, hold on, almost ready. We're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Okay, I am ready. I'm going to share my screen with you, and we are going to jump in to the text. This is coming from our Torah portion. I hope you can see it now. This is coming from Vayikra Leviticus, chapter 16. This week's Torah portion. Actually, it's a double portion, Achrei and Kedoshim. So the first of the two talks about the, uh, the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur at Dina Malka. Um, actually, let me make this a drop larger. I think we can go a little bit bigger on this. Let's see if this... Yeah, why not? Let's make it nice and big. Text number one, Adina Malka, please take it away. For on this day, he shall effect atonement for you to cleanse you. Before God, you shall be cleansed from all your sins. It is the Sabbath of rest for you and you shall afflict yourselves. 
it is an eternal statute. And the Kohen who is anointed, the high priest, or who is invested to serve in his father's stead, shall effect this atonement, and he shall don the garments, the holy garments, and he shall effect atonement upon the holy of holies, and he shall effect atonement upon the tent of meeting and upon the altar, and he shall effect atonement upon the Kohanim and upon all the people of the congregation. All this shall be as an eternal statute for you to effect atonement upon the children of Israel for all their sins once each year. And he did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Thank you. And who's the he that we're talking about in this last verse or the he? Um, uh, no, no, just that he that's referring to Aaron, who was the very first high priest in history. Aaron did everything that God said. Right, Moses told, um, told Aaron what God had told him, and that's how it rolled out. Now, there is, what's interesting is, although this is what was done then, even today, get this. Oh, hey, Karen, good to see you. Even today, there is this idea that we reminisce and we recall the ancient service in the temple. When do we do this? We do this Yom Kippur, I guess probably early afternoon or afternoon. Um, it's part of the Musaf service. We call it the Avodah, which literally means the service. And we recount in pretty, pretty detailed uh, um, accounting, we go over, we go through exactly what the Kohen Gadol would do on the day of Yom Kippur, how we do the service, the animal sacrifices, the other offerings, and just the, the protocol and the confessions and the call and, and response from the people and just the reading of the Torah, all of the different pieces that would happen in the temple on the day of Yom Kippur, we read in our prayers. Now that's, honestly, it's part of the prayers when I think people are starting to get a little fatigued, and so maybe that's not like the peak of everyone's energy. It's not the beginning. It's also not the end. It's kind of like right in the middle. Um, for those of you that have um, come to Chabad in town for Yom Kippur services, so you know at that point of the service, I usually do kind of like an interactive avodah with we have pictures, and, and I try to take everyone through it in a way that's kind of meaningful. But there is a place even today to recall, the, um, the point is there is a place today to recall this, uh, this ancient ritual. What I want to do now is just take a few moments and go through some of the texts of that of the liturgy on Yom Kippur that reminisces about the ancient service in which we'll see some highlights uh, from that service. So let's just do four excerpts from that. I'm going to open up my textbook once again over here to text number 2A and let us ask um, Steve, please, to read text 2A on page 38. Um, this is recalling what the high priest would say when he was, when he was um, offering the confessional prayer on behalf of the Jewish people. In other words, asking God to forgive the Jewish people. Take it away. And this is what he said. Oh God, your people, the house of Israel, have sinned, have committed inequity, and have transgressed before you. I beseech you, for the sake of your ineffable name, grant atonement for the sins, inequities, transgressions, 
that your, pe uh, your people, the house of Israel, have sinned, committed, and transgressed before you, as is written in the Torah of Moses, your servant, in your glorious name. For on this day atonement shall be made for you to purify you of all your sins before the Lord. So essentially, the high priest is representing the people. He stands up there and he says, Look, God, you, I'm here representing the people, and I ask you to forgive them of all of their sins, iniquities, transgressions, etc. And he says, You told me to do this. I'm not just like coming out on my own and saying, God, you got to do this. You wrote it in your Torah. Right? In your own Torah, it says, for on this day, atonement shall be made for you. Right? I'm asking for atonement for the people because you put it in your book. It's part of your law. Right? On this day, atonement shall be made for you to purify you of all your sins before the Lord. Lefnei Hashem. Lefnei Hashem before God, before the Lord. That's how that verse, that's how he ended the verse here. Um, at least for right now. When the people heard the high priest in the temple, on Yom Kippur, uttering God's name, the way it was written. Typically, we'd never pronounce the God's name the way it was written. But on Yom Kippur, when, when the, the high priest did pronounce it, the ineffable name, in its, in its original form, the people would just fall to the ground and prostrate themselves flat on the ground in reverence and awe for what they just heard. David... Please read text number 2b. Um, and this is the response of the people upon hearing this pronouncement. And when the priests and the people standing in the temple court heard the glorious and awesome name fully pronounced, issuing the mouth of the high priest in holiness and purity, they would bend their knees, bow down, and fall on their faces and exclaim, Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. Right, so, he, so the, thank you. The high priest was talking about Hashem forgiving, but when the people heard God's name be, be, uh, be pronounced, they fell down to the ground. All right, let's do another text from the liturgy. This is all in the liturgy. This is all what we read on, on Yom Kippur, reminiscing about the days of yore. Days of yore, I think so. All right, the next text that we want to highlight is text 2C, and this is the short prayer that the high priest will recite really after he finishes the main service in the Holy of Holies. He would walk out, so he was in the Holy of Holies. One day a year was he allowed to go in that inner, innermost holy, holiest of chambers. Then he would step back outside, face the curtain, right, that he, where he had just been inside of. He would stand outside and, uh, and offer a very short prayer on behalf of the people. So before he asked, just to, just to clarify, text 2a, he was asking for God to forgive the people. Then he does the service, and the people bow down and all that stuff. And then, so when he's done, he offers a prayer, and he asks God for blessings. Let's ask Donna. Donna, please read text 2c. May it be your will, Lord our God and God of our fathers, that this coming year shall be for us and for all your people and the house of Israel, wherever they are, rich in rain if it is hot. And when the world is in need of rain, do not permit the prayers of travelers with regard to rain to gain entrance before you. May your people, the house of Israel, not be dependent for their livelihood upon one another, nor upon any other people. 
be a be a year that no woman will set, suffer miscarriage, and that the trees of the field yield their produce, and may there not depart a ruler from the house of Judah. Thank you. Such a beautiful prayer and very short, very relatively very short. And you see, it talks about rain and food and children and family and you know the basics, the basics. I I love this one. When the world needs rain, don't listen to travelers. Yeah, travelers don't want it to rain. I mean, this is before automobiles with, uh, with, with, with covered stuff. So you, we were saying to God, listen, God, I know that the travelers are going to say, you know, they don't, want, they don't want rainy weather, but don't listen to them. Listen to us. This, is, this evokes in modern times what Red Sox fans and Yankees fans, how they would pray to God, right? They would say, a Yankees fan would say, and do not let the prayers of the Red Sox fans enter before you, O Lord, and let us say amen. And Donna and Fred, as Red Sox fans, stemming from the great, the great state of Massachusetts, y'all would, would say, Lord our God, please do not heed the prayers of those Yankee fans. Right. Yes, exactly. Let us say amen. Hey, listen. I have a question. Yes. What does it mean, and may there not depart a ruler from the house of Judah? What the, so remember, this was said in the times of the temple when there was a Jewish king. So part of the prayer was that the Jewish sovereignty should keep on going and remain healthy. Now, spoiler alert. It didn't last that long. I mean, it lasted a few hundred years, but we're here in exile now for the last 2,000 years. But that was the prayer. The prayer was that there should not depart a ruler. Now, this is also a sign that you will find in offices, right? May the rulers not depart and the staplers. That was a joke. But yeah, I'm here all week. But, but the prayer, yeah, whatever. Right? See that? You gave me an opening and now you regret it. But the point is that... Um, the prayer was for the Jewish sovereignty to remain um, in, in a strong way. And then, f and then, f sorry? Okay, and then finally, we have text 2D. And in text 2D, we have the final excerpt from the liturgy that we say every year in Yom Kippur. And it talks about how radiant was the face of the high priest or the high priest in general as he came out of the Holy of Holies. Now, I don't know if everyone sings this tune. Chaz and Ben can certainly, you know, uh, let us know. But I will tell you that there's a, I, I think there's a beautiful Chabad tune that we sing um, for this. Etc. And that's how it goes. So I'll read this one myself, 2D. And so how radiant was the high priest as he came out of the Holy of Holies in peace. Like the resplendent canopy spread over the vaults of heaven was the appearance of the, high, of the priest. Like the lightning that flashes from the brilliance of the angels was the appearance of the priest. Like the celestial blue twined in the four fringes of the tzitzis was the appearance of of the priest, like the iridescent appearance of the rainbow in the midst of the cloud was the appearance of the priest. In other words, this indeed was a very special moment, a very special experience. All right, so where does this leave us? It leaves us with understanding that back in the day, a central or the central theme of Yom Kippur was the high priest. 
So important was the high priest service on Yom Kippur that he trained for seven days prior to Yom Kippur, prior to the big day, he trained in the temple each and every day. In fact, you can use a word that we've been using for a year now, which is quarantine. He left his house and he moved into the temple for a week. And he stayed in the temple day and night for seven days before Yom Kippur to get ready and to train and to get prepared. Just, just to clarify, something I didn't mention before. On Yom Kippur, there were multiple services that were done. There was the daily service, um, the holiday service, and then, of course, the Yom Kippur atonement service. And these were all different pieces. It was like a full, a full slate of activities. Typically, in the temple, different priests would do different jobs. But on Yom Kippur, the high priest did everything himself. And it was very complicated. It was like a whole orchestration of events. It was first this, then that, then the other, running here, running there, changing clothes. It was a whole production. So the high priest needed to train for this and also needed to steep himself in holiness. And so he was there for seven days. I want to share with you a text from the Mishnah that speaks to this. And then we're going to look at something really fascinating. Okay, so take a look at text 3a and let's ask Fred. Fred, are you up to reading text 3a? All right, don't forget. Yeah, there you go. Seven days before Yom Kippur, the high priest is removed from his house to the chamber of the appointed ones. Another priest is designated to stand in his place in the event that something happens that disqualifies him from being able to perform the service. Look at that. The high priest trains for seven days and, listen to this, there's a backup. There's a backup just in case something happens to our high priest. He, something happens, he gets you know, um, disqualified, becomes impure. Who knows what could happen, right? I mean, we're trying to protect him. We're trying to isolate him in the temple. But who knows? Accidents could happen. So there's a backup plan. But take a look at text 3B. You know what, Fred, continue one more. Text 3B, yeah. Rabbi Yehuda said, Another wife is designated for the high priest in case his current wife should die, as it says, and he shall make atonement for himself and for his household. The term his household refers to his wife. Do you see what's going on here? Look at 3b. What a wild law in the Mishnah. The Mish Rabbi Yehuda says that prior to Yom Kippur, you gotta have a backup wife. Just in case his current wife passes away unexpectedly, God forbid, right? Should never happen, but let's say that happens. And the high priest is now spouseless, right? So you need to have someone else ready to go. Another wife. Why? That's why, that's why Tehillim says, Oh, uh, right. In the evening, it's back in. Right, right. It's, it's a Hebrew pun. It's, uh, it's a good one. Yeah, it works. It works. It works. Yeah. So here's the deal. Why does he need a wife? I mean, listen. In other words, Rabbi Yudha says in the, in the, in the, just in the wild case, well, not wild is the wrong word, in the tragic um, uh, case that his wife should pass away shortly before Yom Kippur, he needs to have someone else to, ready to go to marry him. The question is why? 
And, and, and Mishnah answers it because it says that he should make atonement for himself and for his household. His household refers to his wife, which means that on Yom Kippur, the high priest needs to atone for himself and his wife, which means he has to have a wife. So if his wife would pass away, then you need to have already predesignated someone else waiting in the wings. Now, where is this verse? I'm going to read this one text for myself. This is Leviticus 16, 17. Look at this. This is what the Mishnah was quoting just now. It says, And no man shall be in the tent of meeting when he comes to effect atonement in the holy until he comes out. In other words, the high priest does the service by himself in the holy of holies. No one else is present when he does his thing. But look at this. And he shall effect atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the congregation of Israel. So himself, that's easy to understand. For the people, that's easy to understand. But what is his household? His household is Beito. Beito means like Bayit, his house or his house. Beito, his household. Zu Ishto. This refers to his Ishto, his wife. Beito, Zu Ishto. His household refers, it's a euphemism, for his wife. What that means is that he needs to be married. He needs to have a spouse. And thus, he cannot, he would not be able to be the high, the high priest without a wife. That's why we have a backup wife. Now, I need to tell you this. First of all, I, I, the, the phrase backup wife, I know it's, it's, not, it's not a good phrase. I'm just trying to say it quickly and, and not confuse everybody. Of course, that's not a respectful way to say it. But the point is that there would be another woman waiting in the wings in case of this tragedy that his wife would pass away. Okay. Not everyone agrees with this. Okay. The sages say, the majority of the sages say, you don't do this. Why? Because what are you thinking of such a far-fetched scenario that his wife would suddenly pass away within a few days before Yom Kippur? Like, why would that happen? And if, if you're concerned about that, then you should be concerned that the new wife would also quick soon pass away and you should have a third person or a second backup. And maybe she would also pass away. And, and, and the, the, the Mishnah says, the rabbi, most rabbis said, Ein ledavar sof. There, there would be no end to this fear. And therefore, they said, no backup, no plan needed, it's fine. But everyone agrees that you have a backup, you have a backup Kohen Gadol in case he gets impure because that's more frequent. But that his wife should die, that's a little far-fetched to the majority of opinions. But we're not going to go according to the majority of opinions tonight. We're going to try to understand Rabbi Yehuda's opinion. Rabbi Yehuda says that you do have someone, a woman who is prepared to marry this man in case his wife would pass away um, on that off chance, and that, God forbid, that that would happen, that somebody should be there at the ready. And, and that this is what the verse says when it says that he should atone for himself, his household and the people. Household is wife. Household refers to his wife. So therefore, he must be married. I want to ask two questions, and then I'm going to open it up to your questions. But I have two questions that I must ask because it's really, really burning questions. Question number one, why is it so important that the high priest have a wife? Right? Well, the Torah says he has to atone for himself, his household slash wife, and the people, so he has to be married. Why is it so important? Question number one. Question number two is if it really does mean his wife then why does the Torah call it his household? Aha, you might be wondering that, right? If it's really a reference to his wife, Beito zu ishto, Beito is a reference, his household is a reference to his wife, so how come the Torah doesn't just say that? Why did the Torah say that he's atoning for himself, 
his spouse, and the entire people. Why does it say his household if it really means his wife? What exactly is going on here? We have a bunch of, we have at least two questions, if not more, that are at least swimming around in my head, but these are two questions that we're gonna start with. Adina Malka, I saw that you had a question a moment ago. Jump in. Thank you. Um, well, if, okay, if the wife dies and the high priest is in training, does he come out of training for this marriage ceremony? That's a really good question. That's a real, I don't know, I didn't think about that. That's a really good question, I guess. I guess the whole point of having a backup is that they should get married before Yom Kippur, so I guess they would have to do that, which would kind of break the vibe over there of, uh, of that sequestering. But yeah, that's a really good question. I guess, according to Rabbi Yehuda. Research us and let us know. I'll try. <laughs> I will try. Uh, Dr. Maxi, go jump in. So what about, so the wife, God forbid, dies. I mean, aren't you sitting Shiva and, and what about all of that? <laughs> yeah, that's also a really good question. When you're sitting Shiva. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Now, with regard to Shiva... So a holiday suspends it and actually wipes it out, which means that you don't resume it. Like Shabbat interrupts it, but you continue after Shabbat. But with a holiday, it actually just clears it out. So technically, you know, it would be the holiday. Yom Kippur is a holiday, even though it's like a, a solemn holiday, but it's still a holiday. So it would wipe out Shiva, and then he could theoretically resume the service, and like he would be out of Shiva, and that would be it. But you're right, it is a little, um, it would be a little bit of an odd scenario, and a little bit of certainly mixed emotions over there with, um, with this high priest. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an implication. David. Hold on, oh, I'm mute. Oh wait, I think I muted you, sorry. I, I was hitting unmute, yeah. As I was hitting unmute. Right. Um, why not just go with the backup going adult? Ah, another really good question. You guys. I mean, these are questions that I need. Excellent. David's asking, one second, if you have a backup Kohen adult because of impurity concerns, right? So if he passed, if the wife of the, of the current Kohen adult passes away, why don't you then go to the backup for that? Why have a backup wife? Go to the backup Cohen Gadol. That's a good question. I don't. I don't have an answer to these questions. These are really good questions. Why to, go to the bullpen before the starter begins the game? Okay. F all right. Yeah. Okay. I hear that also. Um, yeah. So, and for, and second of all, second of all, uh, when you quoted Ishto Zubeto, that's way later, right? So you're talking about 2,500 years ago. Ishto Zobeto didn't exist. So Uva'at Beto means his household. Why? You put your, your, your household before your community. Then you put your community. Then you put your nation. And so on and so forth. So all it's doing is going from one progression to the next. Of what's the most important thing? He's saying from the microcosm to the macrocosm, from the individual to the community. Exactly. Good. All right, good. But, but the good news is, I hear you, but the good news is we even have a little bit of an insight on that, which I mentioned, which, you know, sometimes we ask questions because we have a good answer. 
Sometimes it's a question that stands alone, but sometimes it's really to open up for, uh, for, for a conversation. Um, Mom, you wanted to jump in? I wanted to ask, Basel is his wife, but what about children? We're going to talk about that soon. Okay. We're going to talk about that soon. That's actually where we're headed with this. Oh, okay. So, so let's, let's reset a little bit. And we have some interesting things about the, the high priest and Yom Kippur. And let's reset a little bit. And, uh, and now let's talk about the importance of family. And to understand that, we need to look at the mitzvah of having children. Which, by the way... It's very interesting because in other religions and other religions and other spiritual philosophies, the notion of marriage and children is considered to be unholy, which is why in other religions, the most holy people of that religion are not allowed to be married and take vows of celibacy, right? Why? Because physical relationships... Physical love, that's considered to be a distraction from a pure connection with God. So it's considered to be, really, be'emet, it's considered to be, truthfully, it's considered to be unholy. But since not everybody can, you know, live up to the standard, so, all right, a concession is made. You know, concession is made to, you know, for, for marriage and procreation or whatever, but it's still considered to be almost a concession of, you know, giving in to, you know, what, what's, uh, what we can't get around. But ideally, ideally, the ideal is not to be engaged in, in a physical, in, 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 in those types of physical relationships. But Judaism, as I'm sure you know, has a very different perspective very different perspective in that, I mean, and it's in the, it's in the Bible, so I guess it's, 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 yeah, I mean, it's, it's there for everyone to see. The first mitzvah of the Torah is be fruitful and multiply. And, and there's really no way around that. It's, it's a mitzvah. Which, and what do I mean by that? What I mean is that it's, it's kind of hard to argue from a Jewish perspective that that's not a, that, 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 that is unholy. Or that is a concession to human frailties. It's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah means that God is saying, thumbs up. This is good. This is not a bad thing. Right? So it's a different perspective. There's a very fascinating text that I want to share with you. I'm going to open up my, uh, my screen again. And I want to... Okay, take a look at text 6. I'm going to read this one. This is from... Uh, let me tell you the year that this is from. This is from, oh, do I have the year here? No, I don't have the year. This is an ancient Persian Christian scholar named um, Afrahat. And Afrahat had a student who debated, who debated a Jewish scholar. And this is what the Jewish scholar said to Afrahat's student as reported by the student. They, the Jews, say, when God created Adam, he thus blessed him, saying to him, be fruitful and multiply, procreate and fill the earth. Also to Noah in the same way, he said, be fruitful in the earth and procreate in it. He blessed Abraham 
saying to him, look at the heavens and count the stars if you can. And he said, thus shall your seed be. And to the Jewish people and the blessings, he said, there will not be among you a barren male and barren female. Again, he said, there shall not be a sterile man and a barren woman in your land. And the blessing Isaac was given to, was given to Abraham. And the blessing Isaac was given to Abraham by Abraham? No, no. Ari, it's in the blessing Isaac was given to Abraham. This oh, in the blessing, okay, yeah, that makes sense. In the blessing, Isaac was given to Abraham, and Isaac prayed for Rebekah that she might give birth. Okay, that works, sort of. He blessed Jacob, God blessed Jacob, that a seed might multiply. Hannah beseechingly asked for a son who was ultimately Samuel. Numerous was the procreation of the barren through the promise, and all the righteous received seed and blessing. But you, this is what the Jews said to the Christian scholar, but you, the Christians, do a thing which was not commanded by God, for you have multiplied barrenness. You have prohibited procreation, the blessing of righteous men. You do not take wives, you do not become, and you do not become wives for husbands. You hate procreation, a blessing given by God. All right, look, so this is just a little bit about, again, the core, some of the core differences, theological differences or philosophical differences in religions. But the one thing that the real point of this is that in Judaism, Family is, is celebrated as a thing. Now, I, big disclaimer. Not everyone is, for various reasons, able to have a family. And Judaism, God forbid, never is judges or looks down. God forbid it's someone who is not able to have a family or doesn't have a family. At the same time, at the same time, there's value in having a family. It's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to have children, if possible, and to have a family. It's considered to be something very special, if at all possible. So I want to share with you, one second, I want to share with you text number nine. Okay, let me pull up my screen once again. This is, oh, and I, I'm going to give a quick introduction here. Okay, text number nine, look at this. This is coming from the teachings of the Rebbe, and as you may know, the Rebbe was married, but did not have children. Right? The Rebbe and the Rebetzin, the Rebbe and his wife, did not have children. The understanding is, uh, the assumption is that they could not have children. But here's, here's the thing. That never stopped the Rebbe from speaking about the value of children. In other words, just because he couldn't himself have children, that didn't stop him from speaking about the, the, the beauty, the mitzvah, the idea, the, you know, if possible, the, uh, the, the, the specialness of having children. So here is one of the many instances where the Rebbe spoke about this. Hold on, I need to stop sharing one, one more thing. You ever notice that Chabad families are typically larger than the average American family? Yes, you may have noticed. Manus Freeman has a really good line. I don't know how, you know Rabbi Manus Freeman? So great scholar, Chabad rabbi. So I think he may have 14 kids or something along those lines. And there's a, he quit, he's hilarious. He's got this like deadpan humor, really funny. Very disarming. So he's like, somebody once came up to me and said, you know, rabbi, how many kids do you have? He said, 14. So she says, 14 kids? Or he or she says, I don't know if it was he or she. And he says, um, she's like, wow, that's so many. 
you know, it's, and, and there was some sort of like, you know, negative remark about having so many kids or too many kids. So he smiles as only he can. He, sm he smiles and that's it. Like disarms his, and he says, so I hear you. Which one should I, which one should I take out? Like, which one should I get rid of? Right? Like, all right, listen, it's, it's all, uh, something along those lines. Um, at one time he was speaking about, um, you know, the work of, uh, of women in the world and, and, and going out there and working, being active, uh, you know, in, in, in the world. So somebody asked him, so what does your wife do? So he said, she runs a home for unwanted children. Like, wow, that's very special. He says, yeah, my kids, no one else wants them, trust me. Anyway, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. Listen, if you're like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? You just, Manus Freeman, he's, he's pretty cool. It may all make sense when you know him. He means it only in the best way. Now, but here's the point. The Rebbe speaks about here in text 9, I'm going to share my screen again, um, about the mitzvah, the value of having children. Again, the Rebbe didn't have children. But that doesn't stop the Rebbe from speaking about how beautiful having a family is. Bearing children is a mitzvah in the Torah. And not just any mitzvah, it's the very first mitzvah in the Torah. Sequence in Torah is significant. This is one of the Rebbe's big ideas. Although we say, Ein mukta mukha the Torah is not necessarily always in chronological order, but the fact that something appears prior to something else, that itself is a lima, that itself teaches us something. So the fact that that's the first mitzvah teaches us not just that having children is a mitzvah, but it's a primary mitzvah. Be fruitful and multiply and back inside. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and conquer it is quite literal, namely that we should have children, many children, and raise them in a manner that they can go out and conquer the world. Conquer the world doesn't mean some sort of like, it means with light and mitzvot and good deeds. That's, uh, that's how the Rebbe would talk in, uh, in, in this type of like, you know, big, big idea way. Um, Jewish ethical works speak of this idea. On the verse, and you shall light the candles stated regarding the menorah. They speak of the notion that every Jew is considered a candle. A candle is not meant to lie in a box and use. Rather, the whole point is to place it in a candelabra and to kindle it, together with the rest of the Jewish people. From the moment he or she is born, every Jewish child is a candle. The goal is to raise them to be an illuminating candle, so much so that they eventually fill the earth and conquer it, not just a candle in a box, but a candle that's lit. And that's, of course, parenting and education and community. All that leads to that. Now, What's the point I want to bring out here? So there's a few things, and the core is about how, you know, the, how special it is if one can to have a family. Um, but I also want to mention that this is why, this is, this is one of the reasons why typically many Chabad families are on the larger side, because the Rebbe was really emphatic about how, how beautiful the mitzvah is. And again, it's no judgment here or there. It's just, it's just one of many Jewish values but happens to be an important value. So what does this mean for us? So what, what this means for us is kind of circling back to the high priest in Yom Kippur, we find something that I think is pretty interesting. And that is, we said before that when the Torah refers to Beito, which means his household, it's really referring to Ishto, his wife, which tells us that when a couple gets married, right? When a man marries a woman. When a woman marries a man, but in this case, it's the high priest is a man and his wife is his wife. So Ishto is referred to as Beito, household, family. In other words, the, Hebrew, the word and the reference in Torah for his wife is actually family, which tells us 
that when a couple gets married, right, ideally, one of the first thoughts should be about family. And this is a Jewish value. Very often in today, and I think it's, um, it's a trend that's been happening, in, at least in our country, in the last several decades, that having, fa- having a family is something that gets pushed off a little bit to like, well, we're not ready yet, etc. You know, and, and there's lots of different calculations of, you know, the job is maybe not so stable or the finances or the house or the whatever, different things. But the Rebbe, and the Rebbe spoke about this many times. And the Rebbe was always like, come on, have a, start a family. Don't worry, Hashem will provide. You don't have to figure out everything, Hashem will provide. And this is a strong theme in the Rebbe's teachings. And this also is how the Rebbe connects um, the idea of Yom Kippur and the high priest and the fact that he needed to have a wife. Remember, they had to have a backup, right, just in case, God forbid, according to Rabbi Yehuda, um, in order that he should have a wife because the Torah says he should atone for his household and household refers to his wife. And the question that I asked was, well, if it's meant to refer to his wife, why not just say wife? So the, the, the whole idea now is that by referencing wife in the word house or family, what it means is that marriage is really not just about a relationship between two people, but it's about building a home together and building, ideally, about building a family together, if possible. Um, Which is why, traditionally, the blessing that the Rebbe gave to to a couple that was engaged to be married was that you should build a bayit ne'eman Israel. A bayit ne'eman. How do you translate that? Bayit means house. Ne'eman means... Faithful. Faithful, yeah. Faithful. Um, not trustworthy. Um, faithful. A, a house, a family that is built on the core foundations of our faith. And it wasn't a blessing that you should love each other and cherish each other and, you know, you know always be there for each other. That wasn't, that wasn't the blessing. And it's not because, you know, it's too sappy. It's because what's the objective, right? Not the only objective, but what is a primary objective? It's about building a home to illuminate more candles, more points of light. That's the ideal. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, that, that there is this, um, this ideal. And again, not everybody is able to, and not, able, not everyone, um, ex- and, and, and again, literally, the, the, the one who we're quoting here, the Rebbe did not have this, this opportunity. But it's, yeah, but, it's, but the value is, is, is a beautiful Jewish value. And that's, again, just, I'm going to get to you in a second. I just want to make sure that this, the connection doesn't get lost. That is as is explained on a deeper level, why the, the euphemism for wife here is family, because really marriage, the ideal is that it leads to family. Adina Malka, go ahead. Yeah. Isn't um, it a thought in uh, the modern Chabad movement to have a lot of children to replace the six million? I don't know if that's the stated rationale. I don't know if that's the thing. Um, The Rebbe spoke about having children and a lot of children many, many times. So Chabadniks who have large families, it's pretty much because the Rebbe encouraged it. And it was based on Torah. 
It wasn't based on guilt or, or, and I'm not saying it's a bad reason to have a large, I'm not saying that, that it's a negative reason, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, uh, you know, like, um, it was based on foundational Jewish ideas. Pruvu, be fruitful, multiply, the idea of what it says in, uh, in Kabbalah, that every, that every soul is a light of God, and at bringing a new soul into the world is bringing more light into the world. It was based on these, uh, these classic ideas. Now, is that to say that the Rebbe didn't speak about, didn't connect it with, you know, kind of, we lost so many, so let's not, let's not go small, let's go bigger? I'm pretty sure the Rebbe did mention that. Um, but it was one of many different angles that the Rebbe spoke about in this topic. Karen, go ahead. So, so I love, I think it's all very beautiful. And I, you know, I, I, I love this. The only thing that I have issue with is, is taking another wife. Because yeah. a household with children, even if the mother passes, is still a household. And, they're, and they're, this, this woman is still their mother. And, and it's not even taking into account Shloshim or any, not, forget Shiva for a second. It's the whole, you know, uh, honoring, uh, you know, honoring the dead and, 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 and also uh, honoring the life of this person. Yeah. And so I, I, love all, I love it all, but except I just absolutely don't think that taking another wife fulfills the uh, objective or the, you know, the philosophy or the mitzvah of, of household. And if you I, I agree with that. And I would say maybe that's one of the deeper reasons why the halacha is not like that opinion. It's not like Rabbi Yehuda. In other words, we don't line up someone. And so what happens if his wife does pass away? I don't know. Maybe we do go to someone else because of the mourning. Maybe it's fine because he still has a household. He still has, I mean, perhaps he still has, you know, if he has kids, so he has. But, but, I, but I think, so I, I agree with you on the details. But I, I guess what I'm saying is the way I'm, I'm looking at this is not getting, you know, into the details so much as to the general idea, which I think as you, I think that's what you're saying is the general idea makes sense, but the details, so, I'm, so my response is, you're right. Let's hold the details for a second. Let's just focus on the, on, the, on the general theme here. The general theme is about the beauty and the mitzvah, if possible, of doing that. Now, I have to mention this because it's very important to say that Judaism is pro-love and the idea that, you know, a spouse should love the other spouse. A hundred percent. It's not like taking away from that the two people and their connection. Yeah, that's important also. In fact, Halacha says, Jewish law says, there, we have a text in the class, but I'm not going to read it right now, just due to time. Uh, it says that in the first year of marriage, a husband, a new groom, is not called, is not drafted into the army, right? Because, um, because uh, it, he's meant to be, be rejoicing with his wife for the first year. It's called Shana Rishona. It's the first year of marriage, you know, you don't, uh, you don't separate the, the couple. You don't pull them off to war. You find someone else. Um, so, of course, there's the idea of the two in the relationship. But Judaism says it's not just the two. There's also another outlook. And again, it drives, it, it's, it's a different value. It's, it's a bit of a different value than the value in, in our country today. In our country today, you know, what is the value? What do we tell, what, what do we, 
Either we tell young adults or what do they sense from culture. The value is career and the value is money and there are other values. And family, it's like, well, once I have this, that, and the other, then I'll think about family. And I, th- I think to me, what I want to share tonight, if nothing else, it's that Judaism has a bit of a different order of priority. And Judaism says, you know what, family needs to go at the top. Now, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to work out, right? It's possible that somebody won't get married or won't have children. But the priority, the ideal, is family is a priority. We live in a country where, I, again, you can broad broad brush warning, I'm painting with a broad brush now, but family so often is a little bit down and we want to pick it up a little bit and that's the intention of today's class. I want to conclude with the following. I want to conclude with the following idea. And that is that someone who does not have children is st- so number one number one if there was a, an intention or desire to do the mitzvah and, and they were not unable to do the mitzvah a mitzvah is never held against somebody if they can't do it so and the Rebbe wrote you know what I'm going to share this letter let me find it here give me a second here let me find it. Let me find it. Rabbi, can I ask a question? Hold on one second, Yaakov. Hold on one second. Let me jump in. I don't want to. I don't want to um, pause too much in this. Text seventeen. Take a look at this. This is the Rebbe's letter to a woman who was very distressed about the fact that she could not have children. Again, and I know I'm saying this again and again and again. This was something the Rebbe himself, on a personal level, dealt with and experienced. This is the letter that he writes to a woman who wrote to him about her, challenge, her, her struggles with, with infertility, etc. Um, in Jewish life, the Rebbe says, there are duties and functions which God has allotted to the women and those allotted to the man. I'm sorry, to the woman and those allotted to the man. Where a person for some reason is unable to perform a certain mitzvah or some of his or her functions. There is a ruling in the Torah, Torah Emet, the Torah of Truth, that says the merciful one excuses a person who is incapable of performing his or her duty. In other words, God does not hold it against them. Indeed, God, who knows what is in the heart of everyone and knowing that were the person able, he or she would have performed it, look at this line, considers the thought in place of the deed. If the person had an intention, had a desire, and wanted it, but didn't work out, wasn't able to, didn't happen, the Rebbe says, don't worry, it's not... Hashem knows what, where the heart is and Hashem loves us and, and, and no reason to feel bad about not being able to. That's how the Rebbe comforts this woman who was, you know, not, uh, who was unhappy about her, you know, about, about her, her, her struggles, her challenges. I, I want to also mention that in Jewish thought, it's very, very important, the Rebbe spoke about this also very often, that in, in Jewish literature, two things are also considered to be children, spiritual children. Number one, good deeds, mitzvot. The mitzvot that we do are considered to be our children. Why? Because they are our progeny. We produce them, we create light and energy in the world through our good deeds. 
and that is considered to be spiritually our children. So, had, so one could have children also with good deeds, with, with increasing good deeds in the world, number one. And number two, another way to have, another form of children is um, having disciples. What I mean by disciples, students or um, um, people that, that want influences. I guess influencees, if that's the right word. I don't, I'm not sure the exact right way to say it. But those who have been influenced positively by someone are considered to be that person's child. In other words, that person's... Um, um, hey, you. Hey, Ellie, you can say hi. Um, one who they have influenced in a positive way. And so... Hey. <laughs> and so as the... One, one second, hold on one second. And so as the Rebbe said many times as well... If a person is unable to have children, then they can focus energies to doing more good deeds, spreading more light in the world, and, and being a positive influence on others. And in this way, they can indeed have the nachas of bringing more, pro, more spiritual progeny in the world and have the nachas of building a family of goodness and kindness and love and, and light into the world. I'll conclude with the following story that I heard. I can't confirm that it's true because I wasn't there, but this is a story that I've heard. Wait, I, I, I want to make sure that I have at so least so, enough. While you're thinking, King Solomon, I think it's in Mishle, says, Right. So the Talmud is considered like yeah. a song. Yeah, yeah, a person is envious of, of all except for one's child and one student. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good connection. It was, I don't remember the exact story, but something the Rebbe's wife, the Rebbe's in Rebbe's in Chaim Mushka, was once, um, somebody was in, her, was in the house and talking, or so, some sort of setup to this punchline, but she essentially pointed to a picture of, I think there was even the book of Shluchim's families, the Chabad emissaries from around the world that were then, maybe the, I guess in the 1980s, um, at some point, or a picture of Shluchim, or maybe the Shluchim picture in front of, I, I, again, I don't know, I don't remember the setup, but she said something to the effect of, these are all my children. And that was kind of the expression. These are people who have been influenced by my husband and by me and by what, you know, what we stand for. And I consider them all my children. And I think that's extremely touching and beautiful. And I think it's really real. And so as we conclude tonight's class, I'll just reiterate what I said before. That the value system in our country for some, you know, for, uh, has at some point skewed toward more, I would say, secular values, values of, uh, of materialism. And it's good to have reminders. It's good to have Jewish reminders that there are things that are at least as valuable as money, at least as valuable as career, and that is the um, creating, creating legacy in whatever way, whether it's, you know, biological children, spiritual children, other forms of, 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 of gifts, of bequeathing gifts to the world. But either way, it's about having an impact, a positive impact on the world. And that is all of our responsibility. So may we carry this responsibility and this obligation and this privilege with pride. And may we indeed bring blessing to the world. And let us say, Amen.
Thank you very much for joining me tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, I'm looking forward to continuing studying next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Um, I wanted to mention that coming up pretty soon, May 3rd, we have a really special event from Auschwitz to the IDF. The story of Label Mengel, he is a celebrated um, IDF, Israeli Defense Forces veteran, somebody who left his home in the United States of America, grew up in a Chabad family, his father's a Chabad rabbi in Ohio. He left his home to go to Israel to fight some pretty fierce battles to defend his homeland. And he was inspired by his grandfather's story of survival, surviving multiple concentration camps, including Auschwitz, one of the youngest survivors of Auschwitz. And so it's, it's an incredible story. He has an incredible journey. And I encourage you to join me um, May, Monday, May 3rd. I believe it's Monday, May 3rd, for from Auschwitz to the IDF. Incredible evening of inspiration and Jewish pride. That's that. We also have some other surprise announcements coming up about more things, new, new things coming up, but we'll get there soon. Yaakov, I just saw your note. You have a question. Jump in. Yeah, real quick. Um, I had a pretty good insight. I was probably 12 years old, um, and it led to what the, my, my view of the, um, you know, we talked about uh, the Catholics are, are lose. You know, they lose their brain power because the, the the best and brightest don't have children because uh, original sin. It's a sinful act. We have to, you know, the physical world is a sinful place. It's a dirty place, and we need to have purity and spirituality. And we have the exact opposite, obviously. And I was just kind of going to sleep, and I was asking, how do I know that God exists? Like, there's a God, and is it because my parents told me? Well, where did they hear it from? Their parents. Well, that's second, third, fourth, fifth hand. Is it because my rabbi told me? Well, how does he know? His rabbi told him. Well, that's second, third, fourth hand information. How do I know that there is a God? And I said, well, because I, my parents didn't have the wisdom to create me. They didn't create life. They passed it on. And it's extremely complex. And I was laying there going to sleep and I could feel the life force. It's like, well, I know that there is a God because I could feel the life force in my body. My parents did not create it. They just passed it on. And then you could kind of feel, I could feel like deeper, um, the, the, um, the, the procreative uh, uh, force is a deeper energy than the overall life force. I don't know if it's part of the deeper part of the soul or whatever, because I know we have a nephesh and we have a and, and I thought, you know, it's deeper and it's more, it's more pure. Yeah. So really the, the you know, the, the sexual energy is, is a much purer energy than just the, you know, energy to, to live and to eat. Right. To, no, I think, I think you're making some very good points, which is why I would say that honoring parents is, is one of the Ten Commandments, right? Because it is not just honor, because life doesn't just come from... Our parents, life is passed through the parents, but it's really from God. So honoring parents is really honoring the life force that the parents pass through, but it's really about honoring God, the source of life. And to your second point, it says in uh, Hasidic philosophy that the power of procreation is actually touching on the essence of God. 
it's creating essentially something from nothing, which is, I mean, it's not exactly nothing, but I mean, it's kind, it's kind of miraculous, right? I think we can all agree with that. Life is pretty amazing. Look, you and I, all of us, we're all, I mean, yeah, I'm looking around. We're all alive and we came from somewhere and you and I, we're walking miracles. So let's celebrate life and let's remember, well, yeah. So the question was, um, be fruitful and multiply. It seems, seems like we've done that. Um, yeah. And I was just wondering, you know, at, at what point do we feel like um, we are uh, over, we are overextending the, the carrying capacity of the land that, uh, you know, we may be putting our entire species in danger because we have been fruitful, we have multiplied, and we are... Uh, uh, tottering, tottering on the edge, according to, to, to many, many authorities. That, uh, so, Yaakov, you need to come to that first class of um, This Can Happen, which we talked about last night. He missed, he missed last night's class. Yeah. Oh, Rabbi, can I hear it tomorrow at noon? Yes, I'm not going to give too much away, but we dealt with... Did you the, write it? The, sorry? Did you write it? I'm not, well, hold on. I'm not going to reveal that big secret. We're going to hold that. Listen, I got, I got one secret here. Hold on. I'm going to milk it for at least another week or two. Um, but we talked about the, the fears of a population bomb, of the population bomb, and, and what that could do to the world. But the good news is, look, from, from a, I, I'm not going to speak right now from a scientific perspective, but I'll speak from a Jewish perspective. This is the, the Jewish perspective. God said, God gave us a mitzvah, He'll let us know when the mitzvah's up, right? God gave the mitzvah. He'll let us know when, uh, when we're done. So that's, uh, that's the idea. I, I know that's not a satisfying answer maybe, but that's, um, that's one way to look at it. But I hear the question. But look, if you really, I mean, it's, I, I know I keep on going back to the Rebbe. The Rebbe spoke so many times, I mean, countless times about, the um, appreciating the, the value of this mitzvah of having a family and having children, again, if possible, having a family and having children and how, um, how meaningful that is. And, uh, you know, the, and the Rebbe addressed all these questions. You know, what about too many people? What about you know, finances? What about this? What about that? Look, it really deserves, you know, we, we could really go on for much longer, but we're going to we're gonna have to cut it. All right, thank you. Thank you, doctor. Like when you're when you're teaching adults and you know we're helping each other get through difficult situations and we're sharing our wisdom, you know the, the seeds that we're planting. That means that uh, you know adults can be our our stu our students, our children. Yeah. You know you're planting seeds and you're teaching us and we're growing spiritually and and you're where are your children? You know? Well, thank thank older. thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. I'll let Nassim know that he has um, some older siblings. No, I'm kidding. But no, I, I appreciate that. And um, I will say that all of us have those whom we've influenced positively. And all of us have many, many, many children, good deeds, and people that we've influenced. All right, I'm going to sign off. Have a wonderful night. Erev Tov, Laila Tov. And we'll okay. see you. Yes, Adina Malko, go ahead. Send a link so I can take the class tomorrow at noon. Tomorrow, no, there's no Zoom for tomorrow. It's only in person. I do Tuesday online and Thursday in person, but we'll be outside. Recording of Tuesday. I can send you a recording if you don't mind. Send me a reminder, and I can send you the recording. Okay. All right. Awesome. We'll see you all soon. Take care. Zaygesund.
Thank you. Be well. All right. Take care, everybody.